is Trump really going to make America first, or is he just going to make America alone? Excellent question, Trevor Noah. I think we know the answer so far. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something right. You are not alone. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. Though you may be scared. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast and 106.7 FM KSO in Cottage Grove. Out in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 93 FM WLRI. Out in Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU, the voice of Maui. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN 94.1 FM, in Palinville, New York on 102.9 FM WLPP, and in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. We're also heard streaming coast-to-coast and around the globe on the intertubes on the Progressive Voices channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Detour Talk, Radio Monterey, and Radio Sputnik, blanketing planet Earth five days a week. You can run, but you can't hide from the broadcast, although you might like to. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us today. As we continue to try to make sense of it all, as the song says, and it is it continues to not be very easy. Uh, earlier in the week, we had uh, read this tweet from John Dean, Nixon's White House counsel. Uh, here's the tweet. The way the Trump presidency is beginning, it is safe to say it will end in calamity. It is almost a certainty. Even Republicans know this says John Dean, uh, the, the man, the, the whistleblower, I guess, of a sort from the uh, Richard Nixon White House, who revealed that, in fact, there were White House tapes. Um, I think uh, I think he's right. <laughs> I think uh, nobody knows how this is going to end. But I think calamity is uh, is a good word for it, no matter where it uh, where it goes, I suspect. The best case scenario, of course, for such a calamity would be impeachment. That's nice. That's friendly. That's peaceful versus something else more calamitous, such as a, a war with Iran or China or, or, hey, even Australia or Mexico with this clan. We may be going to war with them. Um, <laughs> so, uh, well, we'll have uh, more on that in, in a bit. But uh, but here's some good news uh, along the impeachment lines. The first uh, that I've seen, Des, I don't know if you've seen this yet, this poll from PPP. No, I have not. Less than two weeks into Donald Trump's tenure as president, 40 percent of voters already want to impeach him. Forty percent. That's up from 35 percent of voters who wanted to impeach him just one week ago. So in one week over this past tumultuous week, uh, it's gone from 35 to 40 percent. Only 48 percent of voters say they would be opposed to Trump's impeachment. So less than a majority of the country 
would be opposed to impeachment at this point after just two weeks of the Trump presidency. Uh, Why so much unhappiness with Trump? PPP asks voters think he's basically doing everything wrong and they go through uh, a bunch of stuff, but uh, that uh, just, you know, opposing one thing after another majorities of Americans, pluralities of Americans. We covered um, some uh, some similar polling yesterday on the broadcast from from the Gallup organization showing that uh, his his executive orders are just wildly, wildly unpopular. But there's also this. Trump voters uh, continue to refuse to believe in the sincerity of those protesting him. So just looking at Trump voters, 48 percent of Trump voters, uh, pretty much half, half of the people who voted for Donald Trump think that folks who protested at airports across the country last weekend were paid to do so by George Soros. 48 percent think George Soros paid those millions of people who turned out uh, to just 31 percent who think the protesters weren't paid. That's how brilliantly brain addled these Trump supporters are. I got to get me some of that good uh, Soros protest money, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, I keep hearing that it's uh, flowing freely, but absolutely not a single person I know has ever received any of it. No evidence, no evidence. But we don't need evidence. Remember, we are in the the post-evidence era now, post-fact, post-truth, post-evidence. Trump voters thought that the women's marchers were all paid by Soros. <laughs> all as well uh, as well so clearly the uh, the uh, Trump administration if so the Trump administration is going to be very expensive for George Soros I guess uh, it also uh, hasn't taken long for voters to develop a dim view of Trump's advisor Steve Bannon who has just 19 support of just 19 percent of voters who see Bannon uh, uh, favorably there, there's all kinds of stuff in here that is is just remarkable and uh, you know for all of the attacks that Donald Trump for example has made on uh, on on various institutions and people that he considers an enemy for example uh, John McCain he went after John McCain. Well, John McCain is far more popular than uh, than President Trump. A uh, 51 to 37 spread uh, shows uh, John McCain has more credibility than Donald Trump. Right now, only 33 percent of voters. Um, oh, where am I here? Uh, I lost the uh, where am I here? 37 percent of voters. Uh, but I can't find his uh, particular so many numbers here uh, wildly unpopular. And these guys, John McCain, far more popular. Uh, also, the media is more popular. Fifty two to forty one uh, support a Washington Post saying they have more credibility than Donald Trump. Fifty one to forty two say the New York Times, that liberal New York Times has more uh, credibility than Donald Trump. 50 to 42 spread, uh, says CNN, which we all know is fake news, according to Donald Trump. Uh, well, the American people don't think so. They disagree. Uh, they find uh, CNN, New York Times, Washington Post all more credible than Donald Trump. Uh, so uh, and by the way, uh, Obamacare continues to become more and more popular the more the people are talking about repealing it, the more Republicans are talking about repealing it. Right now, 46 percent of voters say they support it to just 41 who are opposed. 
So again, um, a wildly unpopular White House after just two weeks. Yes. Well, the good yes. news on the Obamacare, the improving public opinion polls yeah. on Obamacare, it does show that the delay, the efforts to delay it, gives more opportunity for the actual real true information about how much it is helping people gets that out so that people are now so saying, oh, wait, you mean my health care? That's Obamacare? Oh, yeah, and as people realize, it is yeah, it is going to affect them personally, uh, personally, yes. and as we start to make sense, you know, for for years, uh, people have been using poll numbers about Obamacare, uh, and uh, you know, people who don't like Obamacare would rather see something. Uh, we would rather either you know repeal it, like Republicans want, or they want something better, like single payer. They're not saying get rid of it. They say they want to expand Obamacare. And improve. So yes. now. Now we're starting to see the truth of those numbers. Uh, anyway, interesting polling from PPP. We'll uh, we'll link to that in the uh, item today at bradblog.com. But it is no wonder that he is so unpopular when he's even picking fights, as we talked about yesterday, uh, with our allies like Australia. Donald Trump had this phone call that was reported over the weekend from uh, with Malcolm Turnbull, the prime minister of Australia. And it apparently ended early. It ended about a half hour early when Donald Trump apparently hung up on the prime minister of Australia, our friend, um, over a, a dispute about refugees uh, with uh, an, an agreement that we have with Australia to bring about 1,200 refugees here. Well, we now have some of the audio from that phone call that has finally been uh, released. Let's play a little bit of that. Well, good day, President Trump. I'd like to talk about our refugee agreement. Listen up, Boomerang Joe. I'm canceling that dumb agreement. We don't need your Boston bombers, your Mad Maxes, or those big beer cans that make my perfectly normal hands look small. Keep them in your weak, unsafe country, which is a total disaster. Man, President Trump, I'm sure if you visited sometime, you'd be able to see... Don't need to visit. I've been to the Outback Steakhouse. Not impressed. This call blows. I'm going to hang up on you now. Fantastic power move. Okay, so that wasn't really the actual <laughs> audio of the phone I think call, it's a close approximation. But I think it was a close approximation. <laughs> it uh, might actually have been nicer and more polite. That from the... Da yeah, no kidding. Uh, that from the Daily Show uh, last night. But uh, it's kind of hilarious, but it's not. Because Senator Bob Corker, Republican from uh, Tennessee, he had to call the Australian ambassador on Thursday to reaffirm the alliance between the two countries amid reports of a tense call between Trump and uh, Prime Minister. Minister Malcolm Turnbull. He was the second U.S. senator, second Republican U.S. senator who felt it was necessary to do this. He tweeted, just got off the phone with Ambassador Joe Hockey. Yeah, that's, apparently the Australian ambassador is named Joe Hockey. They have the best names. They do. Uh, he discussed, uh, he, he says, uh, we discussed the important and long lasting alliance between our two countries. Corker, who chairs the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, was the second GOP senator to call Ambassador Hockey on Thursday. Senator John McCain said he spoke with Hockey earlier in the day. He said, I called Australia's ambassador to the United States this morning to express my unwavering support for the U.S.-Australia alliance. Uh, this comes after, of course, the uh, Washington Post report on that uh, on that phone call over the weekend. So uh, just absolutely amazing. Little wonder that uh, now 40 percent after two weeks, 40 percent of Americans would love to see 
Donald Trump impeached. But hey, you know, none of this stuff rises to the level of in an inappropriate relationship with an intern. So I don't know if uh, if that's the high high crimes and misdemeanors uh, that they're looking well, for. Well, actually, uh, when it comes to the executive orders that he's issuing and the way these things are being carried out and what's going on behind the scenes, well, that could rise uh, to impeachable offenses. Uh, a watchdog agency at the U.S. Department of Homeland Security said it is now planning to review how President Donald Trump's immigration executive order to temporarily suspend travel from seven majority Muslim nations was implemented. Two weeks in, and we're going to have an IG in, uh, inspector look into what has happened over the past week. The review of Friday's order was being planned, quote, in response to congressional request and whistle, whistleblower Whistleblower and hotline complaints, the uh, department's Office of Inspector General said in a statement. The IG would also look at DHS's adherence to court orders and allegations of individual misconduct on the part of DHS personnel, according to the statement. If circumstances warrant, the Office of Inspector General will consider including other issues that may arise during the course of the review. I think there's going to be a lot of other issues that are going to arise during the course of that um, that review by the inspector general in California. Uh, for example, a federal judge in L.A. ruled that the uh, Trump administration must allow immigrants with initial clearance for legal residency to enter the United States, despite the ban signed one week ago. Massachusetts, New York, Virginia and Washington state have uh, also all challenged the order. Ali Vaigan, an Iranian citizen and U.S. visa holder, was forced out of the country last week. On Thursday, he became the first person allowed back into the United States because of the actions taken out here in uh, in federal court here in California. Vaigan declined to comment on Trump or the order when speaking with reporters at L.A. International Airport. Oh, do you think? Yeah, I, I think if I'm him, I don't want to comment on Donald Trump. I don't want to talk to reporters at all. But he did say, this is what human rights look like. The inspector general's statement about this investigation that is about to move forward uh, said it would provide a uh, their final report uh, to Kelly, uh, who heads uh, the Department of Homeland Security, to the U.S. Congress and to the public after its review. Uh, but they didn't say how long the review would take. Department of Homeland Security includes the Customs and Border Protection and uh, Immigration and Customs Enforcement Agencies, uh, many of whom uh, officials were uh, alleged to have not allowed uh, uh, detainees at airports to speak to attorneys despite federal court orders that they must do so. Democratic Senator Dick Durbin said, uh, I'm encouraged by the uh, DHS inspector general's decision to investigate the chaotic implementation of this un-American and unconstitutional order, but I will continue to fight for it to be revoked. That's from Reuters. The, uh, uh, the Intercept reports this week that the inspector general's investigation comes amid mounting tension between the White House and career U.S. officials who oppose the Trump administration's hardline anti-immigrant policies. On Monday, acting Attorney General Sally Yates 
was removed promptly from her position and accused of betraying the Department of Justice just hours after announcing she would not defend uh, Trump's executive order on the grounds that she believed it might be illegal. Earlier that same day, Spicer lashed out at State Department officials working on a dissent channel memo, registering their concerns over the administration's order. That memo has since garnered 1,000 signatures. And uh, The Intercept's article closes with this chilling note. Whether the increasing hostility will impact uh, the IG's investigation into Trump's order remains to be seen. One senior immigration official who uh, The Intercept talked to expressed doubts, saying, quote, stand by for the sacking of the office of the inspector general. We will see if that comes about or if the inspector general will be allowed to uh, move forward with this uh, with this investigation. And that's on only one issue. There are is so many more that I suspect uh, we're going to see uh, inspectors general looking into. But now that it has been one full week since Trump signed his Muslim exclusion ban, as Lena Massery, the litigation director for the Council on American Relations, described the executive order last Monday on the broadcast, um, uh, only today, a full week later, are we even beginning to get an idea of the breadth of that order as it's being applied by the federal government? This, uh, this as a, a government official admitted in a courtroom today uh, when revealing how many are actually being immediately affected by the ban. It led to gasps in the federal courtroom, and we will talk about that and much more with my guest next, right here on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. <laughs> Hey, this is Brad. Given the outcome of the 2016 election, we really need your support now more than ever. Progressive media outlets have been under attack for years, even during supposedly progressive administrations. We are now facing a whole new world and real alternatives to the mainstream corporate media. You know, the folks who got it all wrong from the jump must be able to continue the fight for all of us. This is not a drill. It never was. Please consider a donation to our work here on the Bradcast by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate to help out however you can. A monthly pledge is greatly appreciated, but anything you can share will keep us going. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to keep up the resistance, now more than ever. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. All right, welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. A lawyer for the U.S. government said in federal court in Virginia on Friday that more than 100,000 visas had been revoked as part of President Trump's policy halting travelers from seven predominantly Muslim countries. According to the New York Times, a move that the judge hearing the case, federal district judge Leone M. Brinkema, described as causing chaos. 
While protesters have focused on the executive order stopping foreigners from entering the country, a State Department memo that was not initially released publicly uh, went much further, canceling at least temporarily almost all visas from those seven majority Muslim countries, none of which, by the way, were ever home to any of those known to have carried out or attempted to carry out uh, terror attacks in the U.S., going back to and including the attacks on 9-11. Folks from those countries, uh, presumably, are still allowed into the country. The New York Times reported on Thursday that tens of thousands of these visas for foreigners inside and outside of the U.S., had been revoked without any notice to the visa holders. Had any of them left the U.S., they would have most likely lost the ability to return. The 100,000 figure cited in court on Friday, reportedly to audible gasps in the courtroom, represented the first time the government had quantified the number of revoked visas. Though uh, after the hearing, a State Department official provided a lower number, saying that it was it was fewer than 60,000. Oh, just just, uh, you know, fewer than 60,000 lawfully issued visas canceled Uh, in in either case. The figures, uh, the paper reports demonstrate how many more people were affected than just those detained or deported amid the confusion at American airports over the past weekend. Initially, the government had reported just over 100 travelers had been detained. They later said the number was higher than 700. And, of course, that did not include all of those who had obtained legal visas but were prevented from getting here in the first place following the uh, the surprise executive order issued by Donald Trump one week ago. In the meantime, the Department of Homeland Security's Office of Inspector General has ordered all department personnel to retain all documents related to the issuance of the executive order and the measures taken to enforce it thereafter as part of an investigation into the chaos and uh, allegations that federal officials ignored a number of federal orders, including to allow detainees at airports around the U.S. to consult with attorneys during their detention and before signing away their rights to their legally obtained visas as several reportedly did before then being deported back to their country of origin in the bargain. What a mess. Um, Even a week later, what a mess. Here to try and bring us up to date on what has transpired today and over the past week since protests broke out at airports and in many cities a week ago following Trump's executive order uh, being signed and going almost immediately into effect is Jess Hansen. She's an attorney, uh, an immigration law attorney, and Skadden Fellow with the National Immigration Law Center here in Los Angeles. The National Immigration Law Center, uh, their mission, according to their website, is to defend and advance the rights and opportunities of low-income immigrants and their family members. I suspect she has had a very busy week. Jess Hansen, welcome to the broadcast. Hi, Brad. Thank you for having me. Uh, thank you for joining us uh, at a, what I know, I, I suspect, is a, an insane time over there at the NILC. Uh, could, could you do uh, me the favor of briefly explaining the difference between 
lawfully obtained uh, travel or student or work or immigrant visas and green cards for permanent U.S. residents and and the different way that they seem to be uh, treated under Trump's executive order uh, or in the eventual eventual enforcement of it, because I know it's been a mess and we're all trying to figure out what is allowed and what isn't, etc. Can you help me out in that score for a moment? Sure, I can try, although as you have um, accurately described, the situation is very chaotic, very inconsistent, and rapidly evolving. Mm-hmm. So we're seeing, um, even despite what we, how we think sh- things should be um, under this order, we're seeing wildly inconsistent treatment of folks with various visas or non-immigrant visas um, in different airports abroad and in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Uh, so supposedly folks who have lawful permanent residence should be able to enter the United States. Uh, after initially receiving contrary guidance from DHS and the White House about whether or not lawful permanent residents or green card holders were even subject to the ban on traveling into this country if they're from one of the seven countries listed, mm-hmm. DHS Secretary John Kelly issued a statement that clarified that the entry of folks with green cards is in the national interest and accordingly absent some um, showing of a, of a special threat, a national security threat from the, these particular individual, mm-hmm. um, having a green card will be a, quote, dispositive factor in our case-by-case determinations of who's allowed to enter. Um, so that means that folks who have green cards um, in the United States mm-hmm. should be allowed to enter, and folks who have visas, um, a one-time entry immigrant visa, which in effect converts... Um, to a green card upon entry into the United States should also be able to enter. However, there have been numerous reports from numerous airports that this policy is being applied inconsistently, both here and abroad, and that some green card holders overseas have been having trouble boarding flights um, to the U.S., either at their original departure to, uh, departure uh, mm-hmm. airport or um, during a connecting flight in a different airport. Um so while lawful permanent residents should be allowed to enter, we're seeing in many cases them being blocked, even from overseas. On the other hand, folks who have non-immigrant visas, which are usually multiple entry visitor visas or specific uh, visas for a specific reason, mm-hmm. those folks are being completely blocked uh, from entering the country. Those are what uh, the visas that you were speaking of that have all been revoked. And so those folks, even if they did have a valid visa, even if they had flight arrangements, we're seeing in a lot of cases, most, virtually all cases, that they're not being allowed to enter. So even if they were supposed to come here uh, on on work, a work visa that had been granted by the, I guess, the State Department or whoever grants those uh, over the past months or or years that, that they were planning those, if they are from one of those seven countries, those people are still being blocked uh, to the best of your understanding. Correct. The only folks that the executive order is not being applied to, if they're from the seven countries, other than green card holders, is individuals who have special diplomatic visas, Mm -hmm. North Atlantic Treaty Organization visas, um, or certain special visas from travel from the United Nations, or what is called G visas, G1, 2, 3, or Mm 4 visas. Um, everyone else is being blocked, even for business travel. And you say that uh, here we are a, a week later, a week after this uh, order was initially signed and then amended and then interpreted and everything else. A week later, and 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 claims that uh, people with the legal resident with green cards are supposed to be allowed in. 
that even a week later, they uh, there are reports that some are still not being uh, allowed in the country. Is that via the international airports or the U.S. airports or both? Uh, that's correct, and it's it is from both uh, both international and U.S. airports. And as you've probably heard, there have been a lot of organizing efforts with volunteer attorneys on the ground in in U.S. airports, mm-hmm. and a massive effort to try to communicate with people who are traveling to the U.S. who are in this situation to let an attorney on the ground know what airport they're arriving to, and um, ideally sign what's called a G28 form, which is a, a notice of entry of an attorney um, on a person's case. So that when that individual, if the individual is allowed to board their flight, when they land in the United States, there is an attorney waiting for them with a G28 in hand uh, to try to advocate for their release. We've heard, uh, again, inconsistent reports in some cases of Customs and Border Protection, or CBP, who's the immigration agency that are in the airports, um, refusing to let attorneys speak with uh, their clients even when they do have a G28. Um, but due to the uh, large response in the U.S. and the mm-hmm. protests and everything, um, we are seeing more instances of folks being released from the airports. It's just uh, folks still are experiencing detention um, between you know, one to up to 22 hours in the in the airport before being let go or uh, deported back to the country St- they came from. Still 22 hours uh, in, in some cases? Because that's actually, uh, before this um, before this number came out today, this 100,000 uh, number, and now uh, they're, they're claiming, oh, it's only 60,000. I want to ask you about that in a moment. But before that came out, uh, I wanted to sort of uh, check in a week later to see uh, with you to see if you know the situation had gotten any better on the ground over the past week. Is it at least somewhat less chaotic, even if there is uh, still confusion and and people being held uh, for twenty two hours at an airport? Uh, it's hard for me to say. Being um, kind of immersed in it, it still feels quite chaotic to me, mm-hmm. uh, and I don't have um, one of the things that is a problem is that, for example, in Nilk's case, Darwish versus Trump, which is in a a federal court in New York, Mm -hmm. we had a hearing yesterday, a pre-motion conference hearing to check in with the new judge in that case. And we raised with the judge the fact that the government still will not provide us a list of everyone who was and is still being detained in U.S. airports let alone a list of everyone who has been deported unlawfully since the order was the orders were in place. Mm. And so it's it's hard to say because we really don't have the numbers even though we've requested them through a legal case and we haven't gotten those numbers. But I can say that during this week I personally have advocated with folks who were detained in airports uh for upwards of 4 hours. Uh I believe the 22 hour case was over the weekend. Mm-hmm. Um but we are still seeing folks being detained for several hours this week um, in airports and a lot of times in smaller airports because the bigger airports like LAX and JFK have gotten a lot of a lot more attention. So um, they're perhaps smaller airports that aren't as um, much of a focus mm-hmm. of the media and as of the protests where these things are continuing to happen. Uh, the uh, Speaking about this uh, number, a spokesperson for the Bureau of Consular Affairs at the State Department, uh, William Cox, uh, said that uh, about this uh, 100,000 number that he said, oh, it's only 60,000. Uh, he said to put that number in, co- in context, we issued over 11 million immigrant and non-immigrant visas in fiscal year 2015. 
So I guess he's saying that uh, 60,000 is a relatively small number of, of people to have their legal visas uh, canceled. And, and by the way, that was just over the past week, presumably 60,000. Uh, d- d- does his explanation of those numbers give you any comfort that this order has is, is being uh, limited and, and tailored to a, just a subset of those granted visas each year? Um, honestly, no, it does not give me comfort because that still tens of thousands of people who not just that individual, but their family, their friends, their business, whatever reason they came, they were going to come to the United States or return to the United States. That has a ripple effect. It's affect. It's affecting all of us. And honestly, I mean, I've heard of stories of folks who saying, oh, well, I left my dog outside and now I was supposed to come back into the U.S. tomorrow and can someone please help me take care of my dog? I mean, it's to the point, it's very human. I think it's easy to kind of dehumanize numbers Mm -hmm. by saying, oh, yeah, 60,000 out of 11 million, that's just a drop in the bucket. But 60,000 or 100,000, whatever the numbers are, that is a lot of people, and it's having global, honestly, global effects. Yeah, I know. And and that was, you know, one of the things I've been concerned about is is these numbers sort of uh, and, and even the protests in many ways, these mass protests sort of obscure the, you know, the, the, the people and their families, the real people and their families who are who are affected by all of this. Uh, over the weekend, for example, The Intercept reported on an Iranian citizen uh, at LAX out here at the uh, Los Angeles airport uh, forced by. Customs and Border Patrol CBP to uh, to board a flight to to Copenhagen, uh, despite the the nationwide stay that had been placed on uh, by federal courts on the at least the green card element of this in New York. Another Iranian woman was forced onto a flight uh, to to Ukraine, despite the judge's orders. Uh, and we have this uh, case of these two brothers from uh, from Yemen, I believe it was. Um, they they uh, tried to enter the country over the weekend with valid visas. They were sent back after signing them away without an attorney present, uh, e- even though the federal court had ordered that there must be an attorney present for that sort of thing. Um, so is there there apparently there are going to be allowed to now come back um but in exchange for dropping their lawsuits as i understand it is is that an adequate remedy remedy for these cases i mean i'm trying to figure out where all of this goes and how these people are ever made whole for the hell that they seem to be uh, uh being put through them and their families right and, you know, there's, there are several cases going on right now, um, some that involved individuals, as you mentioned, and mm-hmm. others that are class-wide. And so I think we'll, we are trying to monitor all of those cases and to try to see what relief ends up coming out of them. Um, all of those cases are obviously in their very preliminary stages uh, since federal court cases take a long time. But um, I, personally, obviously, I don't think that's an adequate remedy, but um, each case will proceed um, Kind of in its own way, uh, depending on who the who brought the case and um, who the individu- individuals are and what relief they are willing to accept um, from the government. Judge uh, Brinkema in the uh, in the Virginia case out of uh, Dulles Airport uh, said, "I've been on this bench a long time. I've never seen such a public outpouring before." She said that uh, this order quote, touched something in people like I've never seen before. 
before going on to explain that the the president has almost uh, what she calls almost unfettered discretion in the area of immigration. But she says there are limits and without any kind of fact finding or hard evidence of a need to rescind these visa decisions, uh, she said, I hope the government gives serious thought about how to address these issues. Does the government need to show a need for these restrictions in court or is immigration an area where uh, pretty much the president is is welcome legally to grant or rescind visas and, and resident status and so forth uh, as he or she sees fit? Well, the president does have pretty wide discretion um, as far as these these executive orders go, um, but a, a couple of things I will say to speak to your point um, about Judge Brinkham's comments. You know, Trump's relentless campaign against immigrants, refugees, and Muslims is now becoming reality. And I think what you said about you know this striking a chord, I think folks are starting to realize that he's making good on his promises that everyone thought was just campaign rhetoric. Uh, the lies, including the lies he spread throughout his campaign about certain groups of people, including Muslims, are now becoming the cornerstone of his public policy. And I think people are finally starting to wake up and realize that. And it it has struck a chord. I mean, especially with the Muslim ban, um, as folks are calling it, the, the executive order that harms refugees and Muslims across the world. I mean, that, it really strikes a chord, because it's it's about religious freedom and the president of the United States trying to craft immigration policy around religious bans. Um, so the president does have discretion, but first of all, he his orders can be overridden both by Congress and by the judicial branch, which is why we're seeing all these court cases come up and um, hoping that Congress might do something about this. Um, and second, he can't he cannot um, make orders that would run counter to the U.S. Constitution. And I think that's what we're seeing here. A, a lot of folks have agreed that the, the executive order um, pertaining to Muslims in particular is un- unconstitutional. Um, you cannot discriminate against folks because of their religion. And so those are, those are some of the limits mm-hmm. on his power to make uh, policy in this arena. But, but he does have wide discretion. And um, I think under the Obama presidency, um, folks applauded that, at least uh, pro-immigrant folks, because mm-hmm. he created the DACA program, which was, you know, through executive order as well. But now we're seeing uh, what that power looks like in different hands, and it's um, it is terrifying, honestly. It is, and there were a couple of other uh, immigration-related uh, executive orders or memos or whatever the hell he's calling them that I want to ask you about, Jess Hansen. Uh, but very quickly, uh, just going back to that Virginia case, Judge Brinkema uh, declined to hold uh, government officials in contempt so far uh, for the way that they handled travelers from these uh, uh, from these countries, saying she did not yet know enough by today to make the determination whether, you know, uh, officials at the Customs and Border Patrol um, were apparently ignoring her order to simply allow individuals uh, who are being detained to meet with attorneys. Um, do you understand uh, from the from the hearing today, and I don't know if you were able to read or see the details yet of it, but uh, does that mean that there's not enough evidence yet to justify holding these people in contempt uh, or that it has simply not been presented in the case? I don't think she's, she has said no as far as holding them in contempt, because it seems to me there needs to be some accountability 
um, or this is going to continue to happen for another week, another month, another year. Right. And without having read the order firsthand, I my assumption is that the evidence has not been presented yet uh, to, to hold um, officers of the government in contempt would require a, a concrete showing of their actions. And the problem with these cases is a lot of them are slipping under the radar. Uh, when folks are, you know, not everyone has the opportunity or, or resources to find a U.S. attorney before they leave their country of origin mm. to arrange for someone to meet them at the airport. And so a lot of these cases of, of detention and, and not allowing um, someone to speak with an attorney when the attorney arrives are simply slipping through the cracks. And so I think they're will be more more efforts. I mean, there are already a lot of efforts on the ground to kind of record what's happening um, and, you know, take notes on, on individual cases that folks are seeing at the airports. But that will continue to happen, and um, hopefully they'll be able to come up with, an, you know, to present that evidence. Do you, uh, you had mentioned, and, and we were chatting via email uh, before going on air here, uh, that there are other that there are two other immigration-related orders that have been signed by Donald Trump that have sort of gotten lost uh, with the sturm and drong of the uh, of the Friday immigration ban. Uh, it was, uh, we had the litigation director from the Council on American-Islamic Relations. She described it as a Muslim exclusion ban. Uh, that that has sucked up a lot of the oxygen, but there, are, there were two other orders uh, that were signed, and I wanted to quickly uh, jump through both of them just to remind people they still exist. One relates to uh, border enforcement and the wall, although, uh, Jess Hansen, my understanding is, well, let me get your thoughts on this, that uh, that that one is in one sense and more aspirational than practical in that, you know, unlike this, the immigrate, the, the, the Muslim ban, which was put into effect immediately, the uh, the the order to build a wall is sort of like, hey, try to do that, figure out how to do it sometime down the road. It's got to get money from Congress. So it's not quite as immediate as these others. Am I correct in my description of that? To a certain extent, yes, I would agree with that. Um, But I also think that the language of the the bill, or sorry, the executive order on Mm -hmm. the border wall, um, it does contemplate immediate uh, allocation of resources for not only the construction of the of a physical wall, but also increased resources for in additional uh, border patrol agents, as well as the immediate construction of new detention facilities along the border, um, and basically a militarization of, of the border area, even more than it already is. Uh, it does call for immediate allocation of all sources of federal funds for the planning, designing, and constructing, and to project and develop uh, long-term funding as well for the wall. So I think um, we're thinking that Trump is going to try to maybe shuffle around resources within DHS uh, to see what he has now before or, uh, uh, you know, until he can try to get Congress to appropriate uh, the remaining money needed for that. But, but or, or Mexico, provision... don't forget, Mexico may, uh, oh may s- send over the money to build that wall. Yes, go ahead, Jess. Right. Yeah, and and there's no explicit mention of Mexico paying for the wall in the order, but there is a directive in Section 9 to the heads of agencies and departments to, quote, identify and quantify all sources of direct and indirect federal aid or assistance to the government of Mexico on an annual basis over the past five years. So there's some, some sort of indication that or suggestion that the administration may try to say that past aid 
to Mexico will now be allocated to the construction of the wall in order to say that Mexico is paying for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not sure if that's going to happen, but the language kind of hints at that. Um, so Good luck basically, with that. the border wall bill, right, um, <laughs> not only does it um, direct the immediate building of the wall and additional border patrol agents, uh, an additional 5,000 border patrol agents, uh, which, as a side note, CBP, the Customs and Border Protection, is already the largest enforcement agency in the country, mm. and it's already plagued by rampant abuse and a lack of monitoring or accountability. So adding 5,000 additional agents is only going to exacerbate these issues, which will inevitably lead to more due process violations for folks that are being detained on the border. Um, but it also allows for the removal to their country uh, of anyone arriving by land except from Mexico or Canada who are seeking asylum pending a removal proceeding. And this could have a big impact on asylum seekers who may be returned unless they're able to significantly demonstrate they fear persecution in their home country. And being returned to the country from which they're fleeing obviously could have devastating consequences. I, I think uh, we, we may have to put off uh, this uh, this other order concerning sanctuary cities because uh, there's a lot to cover there. We may have to put that mm-hmm. off for another day uh, because I want to get before I let you go, Jess Hansen. Um, just just your, uh, your your thoughts, how you guys are doing, how you guys are coping with this at the National Immigration Law Center. Do you have the resources you need? I mean, I've been watching this over the past week and thinking, Man, uh, where are all these lawyers going to come from? Where are they coming from? How are they holding up? How are they, you know, able to to pay for uh, the uh, untold hours of work in helping these now, you know, sixty thousand, a hundred thousand people potentially? How's National Immigration Law Center doing? How are you guys holding up? And uh, how can people help you do what what it is that you do there to help folks? Thanks for for bringing that up. I mean, we have been working around the clock. (laughs) I'm not going to lie. We've been, you know, ever since the first executive order dropped on Wednesday, January 21st, we 25th, sorry, Mm -hmm. we've all been in in rapid response mode. Um, But we are, NILC is committed to using all of our resources and every single tool at our disposal to stand together and defend our communities and our country from the gross overreach of power that we're watching unfold hour by hour and perhaps even more to come. Um, Together we will resist and fight back um, to ensure not only the truth about who we are and who these immigrants are as human beings, but also that what we stand for is is spread far and wide. And to answer your your question about what folks can do to help, donations really do help, um, donations to NILK, because that the more resources we have, the more work we can do to fight these executive orders. And um, if folks want to volunteer, that's another another opportunity as well, especially there's ongoing efforts at airports across the country, but um, One Justice is actually coordinating LAX and SFO airports uh, response, so um, folks can go to onejustice.org slash immigration to sign up to be a volunteer and be put on basically a listserv where One Justice will send out kind of blast um, emails when they need something and uh, for folks to sign up to help at those airports. That's onejustice.org slash immigration, uh, where you can volunteer uh, and help out. And uh, NILC is N-I-L-C 
National Immigration Law Center, NILC.org, and I suspect your donations there would be quite welcome. Jess Hansen, uh, attorney, uh, National Immigration Law Center, uh, greatly appreciate uh, you uh, helping us make sense of this here today, and uh, I hope you don't mind if we give you a shout in the near future to uh, continue making sense out of whatever the hell is going on. Of course. Thanks, Brad. Thank you, Jess. Jess Hansen mm-hmm. from National Immigration Law Center, NILC.org. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back with more Bradcast right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Welcome back to your broadcast. We'll try to lighten it up a little bit. Can oh, we yay. please? Yay. <laughs> uh, well, I was going to tell you about uh, this story from AP about uh, how the phones, you can't even get through apparently to the phones in D.C. anymore. President Donald Trump has promised to shake things up in Washington, but so far he's produced gridlock at least with the phone lines on Capitol Hill. Uh, and this is for Republicans and Democrats alike. Uh, good, good. Keep those phones going. Their phone number, in case you want to get through or try to, 202-224-3121. 202-224-3121. That, since word has gotten out that phones are the best way to uh, to get through and express your opinions. So uh, people are calling to express opinions uh, against a bunch of uh, Trump nominees like Betsy DeVos. Um, and hopefully to encourage Democrats to filibuster Donald Trump's uh, stolen Supreme Court nominee. 202-224-3121. Help those Democrats uh, find a spine. Maybe I'll go into the uh, details on that story because they're kind of amazing uh, another time. But I I wanted to get to this because I want to help lighten things up here uh, after another difficult week. Jon Stewart, so good to see him back on the televisions, even if only for a minute or two. Jon Stewart um, with Stephen Colbert on uh, CBS's Late Show. Late night? Uh, yes, late show. it's called. It's the late show, late show with Stephen with Colbert. With Stephen Colbert. Here's, uh, so John Stewart was reading uh, what he claimed to be some of uh, Donald Trump's executive orders. Here's one of them. May I read the last executive order? Yes, you may. I, Donald Day Trump, do declare by executive order that I, Donald J. Trump, am exhausting. It has been 11 days, Stephen. 11 (laughs) days. 11! The presidency is supposed to age the president, not the public. (laughs) And the reason reason that that I, Donald J. Trump, this is his words, 
The reason I, Donald J. Trump, am exhausting is that every instinct and fiber of my pathological self-regard calls me to abuse of power. I want, I, Donald J. Trump, want, no, deserve, not just your respect, but your adoration. Parades with the tanks and the synchronized dancing. And why can't they train 10,000 doves to spell out Trump in the clouds? How hard can it be? They're already flying. I, Donald J. Trump, am exhausting because it is going to take relentless stamina, vigilance, and every institutional check and balance this great country can muster to keep me, Donald J. Trump, from going full Palpatine. With the lightning coming out of the fingertips and the fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate. We have never faced this before. Purposeful, vindictive chaos. But perhaps therein lies the saving grace of my, Donald J. Trump's presidency. No one action will be adequate. All actions will be necessary. And if we do not allow Donald Trump to exhaust our fight and somehow come through this presidency calamityless and constitutionally partially intact, then I, Donald J. Trump, will have demonstrated the greatness of America, just not the way I thought I was gonna. <laughs> Yep, on the money. If we come through this uh, calamity list, uh, we, we will... <laughs> With uh, the constitutional structure intact. I mean, I, I like what he had to say when he said no one action will be enough. All actions will be necessary to have a chance at seeing maybe the possibility of the constitutional system we have. Continue. And the actions that ah. people are taking, in case you're wondering, they're not just uh, jamming the phone lines uh, at the at the U.S. House and Senate. They're actually making a difference, at least according to this letter that I want to read because I think it's fantastic, uh, from um, John Scheiber. He's a senior editor at TechCrunch. Uh, he, he tweeted this letter. He says, this is from an American friend of mine working with the U.N., in Iraq. So speaking of the unintended consequences, I guess, of the of the Trump era, uh, here's the letter from from his friend working with the U.N. in Iraq. She writes, I just had an extremely important conversation with an Iraqi colleague whom I respect and I want my friends in America to know. She said, quote, you know, we thought for all these years that you Americans really hate us Arabs and don't want us in your country. And now, thanks to your president, President Trump, uh, dot, dot, dot. And she writes in, I, I waited thinking I knew what she was going to say. She continued, now we know we were wrong, that you do care about us and you do want us there. I almost cried and told her how happy I was to hear this. I imagine my friends are feeling a lot of frustration about how to fight back, feeling like one march or one protest after another feels great, but won't actually change things. And you can certainly imagine my frustration at not even being able to do that because she's out there in Iraq. But all you people at home need to know that the Arab and Muslim world is watching and they are not only seeing the hatred and bigotry of our president and his supporters. They are also seeing on the news these images of tens of thousands of Americans demonstrating, saying refugees welcome and chanting USA when the Syrian lady makes it through the airport and so on. They are also seeing the America that we love, the America that comes out to the streets for what's good and decent. So, she writes, just a kind word of encouragement from Iraq. 
Even if there's no concrete resolution in sight, your message matters so much. Please keep making me proud. There's some encouragement from you, for you. Uh, yeah, the marches are making a difference. And uh, whether, you know, folks on Capitol Hill are noticing, whether people in the White House are noticing, people around the world are noticing. And if in Iraq, where they thought that uh, Americans uh, hate Arabs, hate Muslims, hate Iraqis, they're saying a very different message. That is good. Uh, the marches are making a difference. Um, all right, one last uh, one last item here. Uh, a little listener mail. We have we get a lot, but we have not been able to read any of it because things have been so busy lately. Uh, but this to uh, to Bradcast at bradblog.com from Kevin in Nashville. Kevin writes, Brad and Desi, I enjoy the Bradcast and the Green News Report very much. Thank you, Kevin. Yeah. I live in Nashville, Tennessee, which is a blue island in a sea of red. So knowing that there are blue seas helps keep up the fight. One difference between this election and the George W. Bush election is that few Hillary voters are accepting the results now, which is encouraging, writes Kevin. He says several people have been quoting the Ben Franklin quip after the Constitutional Convention. Do, do you remember what it is? No, that's the one uh, we have made you a republic. Yeah, well, if you can keep it, exactly. but I know you have it better. No, than no, that. no, that was good. Yeah, what <laughs> what kind of government have you given us? A republic, if you can keep it. Uh, Kevin says, while appropriate, another statement from Lincoln's first inaugural has been overlooked. We are certainly testing the truth of Lincoln's assertion. He writes. Here's the quote. While the people retain their virtue and vigilance, no administration by any extreme of wickedness or folly can very seriously injure the government in the short space of four years. That is absolutely being tested right now. Yes. By this, this is, presidency. This is where the Constitution supposedly and hopefully if we all, as John Stewart says, all actions are necessary. We, we just might be able to make it through this. We'll see. We're only two weeks in. Uh, stay virtuous and vigilant, writes Kevin in Nashville. Uh, thanks for that letter. Uh, yes. If you'd like to reach me, you can reach me at Bradcast at bradblog.com. You can also find, follow us, and share us on the Twitters and the Facebooks at The Brad Blog. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to Jess Hansen of the National Immigration Law Center, NILC.org, and my thanks to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's broadcast or any other, you can download it for free anytime at bradblog.com or your favorite uh, podcast site like uh, TuneIn and Stitcher and iTunes, where we hope you will leave us a good review make it a little bit easier for everyone else in the world to find us as well. My thanks to those of you who support our work at bradblog.com slash donate. It's much needed, and it is greatly appreciated, especially now and probably for the next several years, I hate to say it. All right, uh, until we meet again, thanks for joining us. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.